this season on More and More Every Day. Let's do something together every day to be better oral historians. I don't know about you, but I love a daily task, whether it's a writing prompt to get me focused or a quick icebreaker to start class discussion. I love short, easy challenges. That's why this season's 10-minute or so episodes will feature experts, like-minded colleagues, resources, and things I'm learning along the way. But each episode will also end with a prompt, something you and I can do that day to improve our skills as oral historians. I'm your host, Summer Sherland. Let's do this. Let's continue with our Nuts and Bolts series talk about scheduling your interview. The first time I ever scheduled an interview on my own was a disaster, and I didn't expect it to be. After all, I had several years of oral history research under my belt. I was doing graduate work and training with oral historians. I had even worked for nearly two years at a research institute whose primary collections boasted hundreds of hours of oral histories. I had transcribed and analyzed oral histories and even done some audio editing for those collections. Plus, as I've already mentioned, I like people, so I couldn't wait to get started on oral histories for my own dissertation. In a previous episode, I talked about how important it is to work with a gatekeeper to get you started with your interviews. Back when I was doing my dissertation research, my first gatekeeper was my dad, who happened to be tapped into a bunch of professional organizations that connected him to people whose stories could really help me understand the research I was doing. The first person he put me in touch with was a big name in the history of my community. We'll call her Miss Morris. She lived her entire life in the school district I was studying, had been a student during desegregation, as a young woman was a community organizer and activist, and then worked her way up to become the first woman of color to serve in a high-profile position in the state's education department. She was the perfect narrator for my research. My dad reached out to some of his contacts who were generous enough to ask on my behalf, and she agreed to talk with me. My dad's friend texted me Mrs. Morris's number. Here's a loosely based transcript of what happened when I called her and she answered. Me. Hello, Miss Morris. I am a PhD student writing my dissertation on school desegregation and civil rights organizing in your community. As part of my research, I intend to do several oral histories with people who lived or worked in the school district service area from the late 1960s to the early 1990s. My dad and some of his friends said you might be willing to talk with me about your life and your career. Ms. Morris. Sure. What do you want to know? Me. Well, I'd like to ask you about growing up, going to school, your activism, and your professional career. Ms. Morris. Okay. I grew up here and lived my whole life here. I went to school in the late 1970s and was bused across town. I stayed here. I went to community college, had babies, and then I went back to work after I finished my bachelor's degree. I wouldn't call myself an activist, but an educator. I worked for the State Department of Education until busing was discontinued, and then I retired a few years back. Me. Silence. (laughs) My response was silence. Now, since this conversation on the phone with Ms. Morris wasn't recorded, and my conversant didn't consent to anything before we began, I've changed her name and some details in my recount above. But that's basically what happened. I was dumbfounded. In all of my preparation, training, and previous work as an oral historian, I had always been told that oral histories should be recorded, last about an hour or so, and cover an individual's life story, and that I would need to get consent before and after the interview itself. This phone call had lasted five minutes, 
and basically covered her life trajectory. I had not asked for consent or recorded the conversation. I just thought it was a preliminary phone call, right? How could I now bother this woman for any more of her time? I politely thanked her and hung up, planning to regroup, circle back, and ask for a full interview in the future. A few days later, I did just that. But ultimately, we were never able to reconnect for a full oral history together. I had lost my chance for a pie-in-the-sky narrator. I think of this conversation with Ms. Morris every time I help students coordinate their interview logistics. I was so intimidated and fearful of wasting her time that I didn't think quickly enough on my feet to redirect the conversation in the moment. More importantly, I didn't frame my ask correctly. Think of it from her perspective. A stranger's adult child gets her information, calls her, and asks for an interview of her life story over the phone. It was never her responsibility to clarify the details of this interview. It was mine. The University of Southern Mississippi's Center for Oral History and Cultural Heritage has a handout called The Three P's of a Successful Oral History Interview. The first P is preparation. And the number two priority of preparation behind only background research has to do with scheduling. They write that when you schedule the appointment to include who, where, when, and how long. They go on to say, quote, select a time of day that is best for the interviewee. For elderly persons, morning hours are often best. 60 to 90 minutes is a good average length for the interview. Both interviewing and being interviewed are tiring and concentration spans diminish if the interview is too lengthy. Select a location that is convenient and comfortable or neutral for the interviewee and where minimal distractions will occur. If only I had read this pamphlet before my conversation with Ms. Morris, I would have been reminded that these were the details I should have addressed, not the list of topics I eventually wanted to get to. So when reaching out to your narrators, be prepared for all sorts of things to happen. Oftentimes, your narrators won't know the difference between an interview and a traditional oral history. They may not know that an oral history takes quite a while and relies on background, biographical, and contextual research. It's your job to explain this up front so they aren't blindsided and you don't miss your opportunity. Here are some frequent questions many narrators may ask you up front. One, what are the logistics of the interview, i.e. location, date, and time? Two, how will it be recorded? Three, who is conducting this interview? Four, what are the questions? Can I have them in advance? Five, how is it going to be used in the future? And six, how long will this take? At the South Phoenix Oral History Project, we arrange our interviews in the following three phases. Phase one, the initial ask. The gatekeeper reaches out to the potential narrator with a simple question. Can we interview you for the South Phoenix Oral History Project? This is usually an email or phone call and includes mention of our already established collection, along with a link to the 70 or more narrators who have already contributed. Phase two, interview logistics, consent, and biographical questionnaire. Once he, she, or they have agreed to an interview, I email them with the location, date, time, and other specifics about the interview, including the fact that students will be researching and asking the questions. I send a calendar invite, along with the consent form and biographical questionnaire. I explain that the consent form is necessary, but the questionnaire is voluntary, and that it really helps students to write and ask meaningful questions. Then, I list about six topics that will likely be covered in the interview, but I do not send questions. There's a ton of research on this. You can look into that on your own, and we might do a future challenge on this as well. 
I end by saying students will be in contact within the coming weeks to confirm and ask for the forms back. And then phase three, confirmation. Students email their narrators and carbon copy me. They introduce themselves and make arrangements for where they will meet their narrators. They include contact information for the day of in case of an emergency and ask for signed forms in return. Just as a side note, most of our interviews are, con- are filmed on campus in our TV studio or via Zoom, and I'll talk more about that in a future episode. Very rarely do students ever go off campus to conduct the interviews, and if they do, faculty always accompany them. I found that since my ill-fated call with Ms. Morris, I'm much more confident in my initial dealings with narrators. I realize now that when Ms. Morris asked me what I would like to know, I should have replied with, I'd like to know if you'd be willing to sit with me for about an hour for a formal oral history interview. This oral history will be heavily researched. It would be recorded, and I will ask you a lot of questions about your time in the educational system as both a student and a professional. If you're interested, we can make those arrangements now and meet in the future. Instead, I rattled off the topics I was interested in and then became a nervous wreck when the conversation didn't go as expected. So today's challenge is for you to write the script of your initial ask. Pretend that a gatekeeper has already put you in contact with your pie-in-the-sky narrator, and you're going to call him or her or them tomorrow. What will you say? How will you guide the conversation towards scheduling an interview? What if he, she, they ask you if they can have those questions in advance? Once you've written your initial ask, send it. Why not? Let's get started. If you're not ready to send it to your pie-in-the-sky narrator just yet, What about a different narrator or an acquaintance? Try not to send it to a family member or friend because those conversations are easier to redirect. So I want to know from you, what kinds of information are most valuable for you when scheduling interviews? What lessons have you learned along the way like mine with Ms. Morris? Reach out at SMCC History, hashtag more and more every day. And go ahead and look in the show notes for links to that three P's of successful oral history done by the University of Southern Mississippi. See you next time. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you did today at SMCC History. Use the hashtag more and more every day on Instagram and Twitter. Our email is historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And I hope you follow us, write a review, or suggest us to a colleague. More and More Every Day is brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project at South Mountain Community College in partnership with the Southwest Oral History Association. Music by Noah Gattel.